This episode of Street Focus is brought to you by FreshBooks. Bonjour and welcome to another episode of Street Focus, an ongoing exploration of urban photography. I'm your host, Valérie Jardin. Today is a very special episode. I invited the team behind the Copyright Zone, Ed Greenberg and Jack Resnicki, to join me to answer some of the questions that you, the listeners, sent in via social media regarding some legal aspects of street photography. Uh, so Ed and Jack, welcome. Hi there. Hi. Thank you. And uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you and what is the Copyright Zone? Um. Well, the Copyright Zone uh, is a name we had of a column we wrote for Photoshop User Magazine, and we've just been uh, using that on our blog. We have a blog called thecopyrightzone.com, uh, where we have a lot of legal information for photographers, legal and business information, negotiating information. And it's the title of our new book, uh, which is out by Focal Press, called, funny enough, The Copyright Zone. Um, and uh, I'm a photographer. I've been a commercial photographer in New York for over 30 years, um, and I've been very active in the photo community. I'm a past president of Professional Photographers of America, PPA. I was one of the founding board members of APA in here in New York, um, and I do a lot of lecturing and um, on issues like this for photographers. Great. And and I'm an attorney in, uh, located here in New York, and for 36 years, I have been litigating these type cases, writing columns and articles. Jack and I do lectures and seminars for companies and at Photoshop World, uh, and I actually handle these cases in front of real live judges and real live juries in various jurisdictions, and have done tens of thousands, literally tens of thousands of these cases and claims over the last 36 years, and boy, am I tired right now. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you are. Wow, that's, uh, that's awesome. Because, um, I mean, we all, as photographers, we, well, first of all, everybody should have this book. I have it. I have the older version, so I'll probably need to, up, uh, to update it. Um, oh, it's a, a big, big difference. It's over twice the size, and we cover a lot of uh, issues such as social media. Oh, good, yes. Uh, negotiating and uh, yeah. a lot of other There stuff. are areas that are not copyright related, uh, particularly negotiating negotiations, which is an area that we get questioned on all the time. Okay. Uh, it's our experience that photographers have absolutely no background in negotiations uh, unless they've been in another business before they became a photographer. Okay, great. So I'll, I'll definitely get the, the latest version. And uh, But before we, we delve into the listener questions, um, let's talk a little bit about the recently vetoed bill in Arkansas. I mean, it, it, it kind of got to uh, in the radar on the radar of a lot of photographers, especially street photographers. Actually, it was even on uh, Twip last week as one of the subjects for the week. So, um, and I, I did my duty. I sent the, the letters as advised by the ASMP. Um, as a street photographer, I felt like I had to do something. But did it did it stand grounds? And and what does it mean for photographers? Had it passed? Could you tell us a little well, bit of what, what it was about? First of all, this is um, my 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 uh, what I'm looking at now indicated that it did pass it did pass. I don't know whether that's accurate or not, but this bill has absolutely no effect on street photographers whatsoever. This is 
people clamoring uh, and getting nervous and excited about this bill are clearly not sophisticated enough to know that this bill is virtually the same as the law in New York, California, and other jurisdictions. With the, if you apply this bill only to living people, it's virtually identical to New York law. It doesn't affect any street photographer who's using their imagery for fine art purposes or for editorial purposes. It only affects street photographers if they want to use these images for trade or commercial purposes, okay. which generally in most states means for the sale or promotion of a product, service, or entity, which could be a charity. Bottom line, this bill is virtually in effect in New York and California and has been for decades. Mm -hmm. And the clamor over this bill is, um, to my mind, uh, uh, the result of a lot of misunderstanding. Okay. Yeah, everybody it's no big was, deal. There was a lot of assumptions made that weren't in the bill. I I read it and reread it, and there's there's an exemption for um, fine art photography and editorial photography, which is the exact same it is in New York. Okay. Uh, I have the bill in my grubby little paws, and when I saw this uh, piece uh, on the so-called outrage on this, it was clear to me that the people who wanted these letters written. Likely, I mean, I didn't ask them, but likely didn't understand this law. This has been the law in, in at least New York for decades. Okay. And California and other places. Basically, it says if you're going to use it for commercial purposes, you need a release. Mm -hmm. Like anywhere uh, else. Right. Yeah. Where, where they did expand was um, the rights of deceased people. Uh, and it extended it to 50 years so that their um, uh, their heirs, you know, could benefit from something done. So that if you passed away, uh, the rights just didn't disappear. In some states like New York, if, if the uh, party is deceased, the estate, in 99% of all instances, has no rights. Okay. In New York. Other states, it's completely different. Modern release laws are governed by the state laws, whereas copyright is governed by federal law. So there's no one-size-fits-all answer, despite the uh, desire for photographers and even lawyers have for there to be one. There isn't. Each one of these model of these cases is fact-sensitive and dependent upon what state the shoot takes place or where the photos are published. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the, the one good thing, I think, that I saw that come out of it, um, I thought that the... Uh, the, the letter the trade association sent around to ask to uh, their members to get active, I thought was very good and it was very uh, effective and, uh, you know, argue, you know, putting the protest up seemed to work. I, I just think it was much ado about nothing. I wish it was a more substantial, um, uh, a more substantial uh, uh, issue than this one, because I, I read that bill about five times. And I kept thinking, I, I just didn't see what the issue. And when I kept asking about it, I kept being told, well, it's very expansive and the intention of this. And the intention doesn't mean anything until you get it in front of a judge. Okay. According to the trade media, some of the trade organizations are arguing that this law will place, quote, an unprecedented burden on all photographers. And that, as far as I'm concerned, having handled a million of these cases in real life is nonsense. Mm-hmm. So, and is it is it because street photographers are, are feeling a little bit more threatened these days? Um, I don't think they're. I don't think they're. Uh, and this is not unique to street photographers. I think it's a fact of life for photographers, illustrators, graphic artists, mm -hmm. and people in the arts. They are not trained 
uh, if they attend the colleges and universities that teach art classes and give degrees in fine arts, they are very, very rarely given any education or business background uh, in classes. Then they get out and they're thrown into the world where they assume that tribal knowledge that they hear from other photographers and illustrators who are not lawyers is accurate. Mm -hmm. And there's another issue uh, for me, and that's a a basic question. A a lot of photographers keep asking, can I take the picture, can I take the picture? The answer to that generally is here in the United States, yes, you can take the picture. You you have every right. It's, It's a First Amendment right of free speech to take the picture. What you do with the picture is where all the questions come into play. Okay. Um, And uh, Ed and I wrote um, a a recent piece in our blog, thecopyrightzone.com, called A Day at the Zoo and What to Do. And um, it's a reprint of uh, an article we first did for Photoshop User Magazine. Um, And it's about a day at the zoo and what to do if a... uh, a security guard comes up to you, or uh, what rights do the animals have that you photograph? And uh, some of it gets a, a little tricky, and you always need to have more facts about the situation. There, there isn't one answer that will cover everything. The, the key is is that most photographers, and listen, I'm a New York Jewish lawyer and about as aggressive as you can get, okay? <laughs> so coming from someone like me, the better approach that photographers should take when shooting in public is not to be very aggressive and not to be very defensive if a security guard or a police officer comes over to you. Mm-hmm. You should know your rights. The simplest uh, and a very nice version of what rights you do have in the United States, if you go to the American Civil Liberties Union website, uh, they have a nice two or three pages uh, piece on what rights photographers have. Now, go in. and be in these situations using your common sense. If a police officer, if you're on the scene and there's been a shooting and you're in the police officer's way and you don't give the police officers, you know, birth to investigate the the scene and take care of anybody who may be injured or shot, whether you have a camera or not, you can be arrested for obstruction of justice or, or obstruction of police administration. There were two basketball players, professional basketball players, who were arrested last night uh, in New York. They played for the Atlanta Hawks, and there was some incident, and apparently, and this is, these are first reports in the media, and as anybody who's a photojournalist out there knows, first reports are always wrong. But assuming <laughs> that there's some validity to them, they wouldn't get out of the cop's way. They were arrested. Okay. Whether you have a right to take a photograph or not, if you're interfering with the cops, they're going to arrest you. They're going to detain you. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and even if you're in the right completely, um, you know, you have to you have to listen to the police at those points. You have to decide how much is that worth to you to stand your ground at that particular point. Um, and, you know, there has been many, many cases where the police have done things that have gotten them into trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there was a case just in, in uh, Omaha this uh, past week where nobody was killed. So I guess it's not hitting the news as much as some of the other issues. Uh, but the police went in and 
um, confiscated two, two videos of what was going on. And there was a third video that somebody shot from their window. And as a result, mm -hmm. um, there's a police officer lost his job and some others might be up for charges. That's, that's an ongoing Remember, case you, right now. Remember, if, you, if you're photographing at the time, you don't have to, quote, win your case at that moment. If the cop asks you to step back five or ten feet, obviously you step back five or ten feet and you keep shooting. But situations where photographers have uh, confiscated film cards, and by the way, what's infinitely more common is uh, where you have paparazzi or equivalents mm -hmm. photographing celebrities, and a security guard comes over and takes the camera, throws the camera away. I've yeah. had several of those cases, and personally, as an attorney, I like those cases. <laughs> because the photographer winds up getting more money than he or she would have gotten from licensing the photography. That's right. But in each of these situations, a couple of things that we point out in the article A Day at the Zoo. Remember, it is likely that you are being filmed as the situation is going on, whether it's by other bystanders on cell phones or other security cameras. The average person gets filmed in the United States 23 times a day. Mm -hmm. So the odds are you're being filmed. There's likely no audio. Yeah. So it's important whenever you're in any of these situations to act prudently. And the word prudent has a meaning in legalese. So if the officer, if the cop gets rough with you, you might want to say, you know, officer, I'm trying to act prudently and comply with you, but, you know, you're, you're, you're being a little too aggressive. You're going to have witnesses around you. If you lose your cool, everybody's going to side with the police. They don't know you from Adam. They know the cops. Yeah, true. That's a so, good point. So stay calm. Um, you know, and, and understand there's certain things that a cop may do that is completely illegal. They cannot seize your camera. They can, if they erase any of your images, that's destroying evidence. Oh, judges do not like that at all. And in fact, um, that could be a charge against the police officer for doing that. There's also this assumption out there, which is a very faulty assumption, that as a photographer, you are somehow adverse to the interests of the cops. I've had many of my photographers work with the police because they took a picture of the car that just hit a six-year-old girl. So they work and cooperate with the police. I've had any number of situations where the images were printed up uh, by my client and prepared very nicely so that the police could use them. Mm -hmm. And there's a obviously mutual benefits to both parties. Don't assume that the cops are on the other side. Okay. Wow. Well, that's actually a good segue to the to the first question that came in from one of our listener here at Street Focus, and it was from Jerry, and he asked, I frequently shoot in the Washington, D.C. subway system, on the train, on the platform, on the escalators, well, you get the idea. From time to time, a transit police officer tells me I can't take pictures there. I cite the specific language from the Washington Metropolitan Transit Authority policy manual that differentiates between commercial photography using lights and tripods and casual still photography. The former requires a permit, the latter does not. The conversation are, is always the same. They have never seen such a policy. I've taken to carrying around a laminated page, including that section, to show concerned parties. They are unimpressed. How far can I or should I push this? I'm not interested in having my gear confis confiscated or being detained, so I comply. This clearly doesn't happen all the time, but when it does, I'd like to have some recourse. Well, I... I 
I'd love to ask Jerry uh, one question, which is whether Jerry has ever contacted the public relations office and the police liaison uh, for the press in the uh, D.C. Metro Police Authority and had a sit down and said, hi, let me introduce myself. I do a lot of this photography and there's been some confusion. I'd like you to clear it up so that we can all get along nicely and that your offices don't have to waste their time with me and we don't have to tie up police business. So uh, can we get this straight between the two of us? Uh, and if there's a problem, can I have the officer call you? Okay. Well, that's good advice. So uh, that's, that's the advice we give in for anybody who shoots, for example, again, as we mentioned that article, if you're going to do a wedding at a public park or at a place like Bush Gardens, which is private or semi-quasi-public, see if they have someone who deals with photographers, can make arrangements with you to get the best angles and to see what you can shoot what you can shoot and where and they'll generally work with you yeah and in Jerry's case too the if a police officer approached me on something like that the first thing I, I would tell him um, is, is just you know officer I'm, I'm willing to comply with whatever you tell me to do but um, my understanding is and then he can go into the other thing so rather than, than being contra uh, confrontational right away and saying oh I know my rights just uh, understand that no matter what police tell you, there, there could be other reasons or factors or something or whatever. Um, as he said, he doesn't want to be arrested. He doesn't want to have his gear confiscated. So right off the bat, you just say, listen, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. But my understanding is this. And then if you did what Ed said, and he said, if you contact Officer so-and-so in public relations. Here's his card. Here's I just met with him. Here's his card. Call him. Yeah, that'll diffuse the situation really quick. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah, because obviously he does this a lot. And uh, yeah, it's happened to me as well. And and as you said, I mean, especially they ask you once, they ask you twice, and then you just move on. You know, n nobody has ever asked me to delete my, my files. And, oh, uh, no, they, they can't. That's, well, that's what, yeah. a, a big, big no-no. One, okay. one of the things that we refer to often is how badly do you need the shot yep. and be... Can you get the shot 15 minutes later? So let's let's use the example of uh, that Jerry's using, and he's in their subway metro system. Let's say he's taking a shot of a train coming into a station, a rather generic type shot. Does it really matter if he gets that shot? Since the weather and the sun isn't going to affect the uh, conditions that he's taking in an underground station, maybe he comes back 10 minutes later mm -hmm. or 20 minutes later, and, you know, you walk away to fight another day. Yeah. If it's a sensitive, time-sensitive shot, like someone's being attacked, well, then that's a different story. Yeah, exactly. And and in street photography, yeah, sometimes we just, you know, it's it's all about getting the, the moment. But uh, more often than not, by the time security comes and tells me to leave, I already got my shot. So it's, uh, it's better to ask for forgiveness than uh, permission most of the time anyways. So as, as I'm sure you guys know, there are plenty of people who take street, uh, take street photographs and never look through a camera or a cell phone. They rig it up so that they're never looking through anything. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, now I, yeah, especially with the new cameras, they're completely yeah. silent and we don't need to put the, you know, the eye to the viewfinder. Correct. Um, but I've had, you know, like in New York recently, I was um, at One World Trade Center, you know, they reopened the concourse underneath um, yeah. and, um, and they were okay with me taking pictures. I just could not stop moving. I'm like, well, that's going to make it even more challenging, but I'll try. Yeah, but I think that there, and I'm, I'm not 100% sure, 
And if you ask my wife, she'll tell you I'm probably wrong. But I think that has... Well, she does that most of the time anyway. I think it has to do with general crowd control. Anytime you're in a public place, whether it's a local movie theater or, you know, a place like SeaWorld, the property owner has the right to and and has the uh, duty under American law and state laws to keep crowd control... Uh, as such that people don't step on each other and that uh, people don't get hurt. That's their duty. World Trade, uh, the exhibits there are pretty crowded all the time. One of my clients is on permanent exhibition there. And they pretty well make people move in certain areas no matter what, yeah. whether they're photographing or not. He's on exhibition? Like he's in yeah. a case there? Yeah, he's standing right. there the whole I, day? You're right. His photo is on. Oh, oh, oh. oh. That's right. So, uh, so Kim had a similar question regarding definition of public spaces in the U.S. She said, I, was, I recently ran into a situation at the St. Paul Public Library here in Minnesota. I was taking photos of some architectural aspects, some with people passing with silhouettes and some without people. When an employee of the library came to me and explained their photo policy. They said photos were okay, just not of people. My question is, can a public place enforce a policy like that? And what is your general feeling about restrictions such as the library claims here? Okay, first of all, the and I'm going to nuance something uh, at the risk of sounding too much like a New York lawyer, but trust me, it's important. You say, what is my general feeling? My feeling, Ed Greenberg's feeling, or Jack Resnicki's feelings don't count. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a question oh. of... It, you know, oh. <laughs> that's a product of being married as well. Our feelings don't count. Um, when it comes to policies that a local uh, public place, and a, a, a public library is a classic public place. Mm-hmm. There have been, over the decades, various laws regarding... Uh, the records at a public library, for example, it's very, very difficult or near to impossible to get the records of what books someone has taken out of the library. And I don't want to go into a, a whole long stream of discussion about terrorist activities, but there are laws in place that make libraries somewhat special, and I'm a little reluctant to use that word. So I'm not looking at their policy Um, that Kimberly is referring to. Do I think it's possible that you can shoot in a public place and not be able to photograph people in the public place? That's likely not constitutional. But I'm not looking at the law, and I don't really, I can't specifically address this particular case. Does it have a smell test? Or does it pass the smell test? No. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it, you know, it's hard to say without knowing the particular laws in that place. and But here's, but here's a question I would have for Kimberly. Why is she photographing uh, people in a public library? And now, Kimberly, don't get, it, don't get offended. But you're taking pictures of people in a public library who are reading materials. Uh, if you ask, are you asking for their permission? If they're not giving their permission, uh, that's an issue that you have to think about. And the other thing is, is that libraries offer a sanctuary to people who want to be studying and so forth and who don't want to be bothered. So the library may, may, I'm not looking at it, may have a policy that no one can, for example, solicit anybody in the library to, uh, you know, uh, here's a Starbucks coupon. Mm-hmm. No soliciting, period. And that would not be an unusual uh, regulation. Let me just take this a step further. There were a whole bunch of cases this winter about kids 
going to people's homes, offering to shovel their lawns, and kids getting arrested because they were soliciting without a license. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. Yeah, and I find that um, I've been stopped many times by security guards, even at the the library. Well, not the same library that Kim, although it's in the same state, but we have a beautiful library in Minneapolis, which is a perfect backdrop for some minimalist street photography where, you know, the urban landscape is really uh, the the first draw. And then you have the right silhouette walking through makes for a fantastic street photograph. Well, they, they, they can't restrict that kind of photography. Okay. Okay, that's good to know. Uh, but but on the other hand, like when I'm in the Skyway system in Minneapolis in the winter, shooting from one building to another, uh, I've been stopped by security guards, and they're not concerned about me photographing people. And these are not, well, I don't know if they're considered public places or not, because you're within uh, a building that's owned by a management company. Yeah, but they have all kinds of quasi-public arrangements. You're talking about the walkways between the buildings. Yeah. That God forbid you should have to walk outside when it's 25 below, right? Exactly. Okay. There, localities have all kinds of special, uh, and and again, even as a even as a lawyer, I don't get into the weeds on these issues unless I have to. Mm -hmm. But if you take publicly financed sports stadiums, yeah, you take joint yeah. public and private ventures, certain airports where there's a private and public partnership. You get into all kinds of nuances about whether it's a public space or not. Generally speaking, these spaces are considered public, generally speaking. Don't forget, a lot of these security guards and others do this to discourage the photography. Yeah. They don't want the photography being taken, but they're not necessarily going to go to the mattresses to prevent it. Mm -hmm. Most people will stop if told to stop. And, you know, another thing with security guards is sometimes they're just bored. Right. You're <laughs> their true. big excitement for right. the day. And um, the one thing that if it's security guards sometimes, and I feel that I'm, I'm in the right on it, and it's something that I do want to be there for because I know I'm not on private property, um, I like it when they say, you know, well, we're going to have to call the police. And you're just saying, please, please, I prefer you to call the police. As we say in the article, sometimes you say, I'm reaching into my pocket. I'm going to call the police for you. By the way. Great line for security guards all the time. Okay. Look the security guard in the eye and say, listen, I know you're just doing your job. Okay. Because nine times out of ten, that's all they are doing. Yeah, that's true. And actually, um, in the Skyway, it's happened that they didn't, it's not that I was photographing people that bothered them. They had specific instructions. Obviously, they didn't want people photographing the structure. Oh, you mean I can't get that on Google Images? Yeah, you exactly. Mean, you mean I can't get that from the buildings department, the public filings? Yeah. You know, in New York City and in most other large metropolitan areas since 9-11, each building's floor plan is on file with whatever the Department of Buildings is for a particular locality. And in New York, for example, and in other cities, they came in and inspected each and every floor of commercial space in New York. You can go down in effect, to City Hall and pull up the records or go online in most cases and pull up the records and get the building plans and conduits and plumbing for any structure in New York City. So the idea that a street photographer taking a photo of a walkway is going to somehow compromise some kind of national security is absurd. Okay. Well, I've, I've also had the pleasure sometimes um, walking around the city with Jay Maisel 
Um, nice. Uh, Jay's a friend. And uh, there's one building on 42nd Street. He loves to go in and photograph from the street the lobby um, because of the way the colors are in there, uh, the way they, and it, the light changes and the colors change. And the guards come to him and they tell him he can't take pictures. And he goes, fine. And he walks away and he always looks and says, I got my shots. Quick follow up to that. The, the building that I'm in at 570 Lex has a Christmas, it's a uh, uh, historic landmark building. And each year the lobby is done up uh, as it would look Christmas 1955. Wow. It's the exact same. And people come in and they photograph and they are welcome to come in and the landlord encourages it. Some buildings in New York have gone a step further and they give you for a fee of 10 or $15 a photo tour like nice. the Woolworth building or some of these other classic buildings. And that's their excuse for charging and say, yeah, we give you complete access. Just pay us our fee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, sometimes I'd prefer that. At least then you can relax. <laughs> You're not going to be well, harassed. Let me give you one quick anecdote. I uh, we had a wedding photographer who screwed up royalty on photographs taken at St. Patrick's Cathedral. And at trial, long story short, at trial, uh, I asked him why he didn't take this picture or that picture, this angle or that angle. He says they don't allow it. And I handed him the brochure from St. Patrick's Cathedral with two priests who you contact if you're a professional photographer, and the priests will take you up into the catwalks. They encourage photography. Mm -hmm. They'll give you the best angles. Nice. So sometimes it's just doing some, some research, research other than just trying to uh, go commando, as we say. That's right. <laughs> That's, that the is a good way. The not against you guys. Yeah. I know. You know the world hates photographers. The world hates lawyers. They don't hate photographers. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. <laughs> You're not feeling the love, are you? No, no. <laughs> That's funny. I would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor for this episode of Street Focus, and that's our good friends over at FreshBooks. Working as a freelance photographer can be very stressful at times. I mean, the pressure is on. You need to consistently meet your client's expectation and go well above and beyond that. And there is nothing more frustrating than a client who doesn't pay you on time. That's why I'm happy to introduce you to FreshBooks, because it's the simple online accounting software that helps thousands of photographers like you and me save time billing and get paid faster. Creating and sending invoices online is really easy, and you can capture and track your expenses right from your smartphone. And if you're like me, your smartphone is really like your office at all times. And the fact that FreshBooks is so easy to use is super important to me because I'm a creative and numbers are not my favorite things in the world. And if I can uh, remove that component from my workflow, uh, I'll be a lot happier and I'll, I'll make better work because I'm focusing on what really matters and that's making photographs. So I highly recommend you check them out. All you need is an email address and it's totally free for the first 30 days. Just go to freshbooks.com slash streetfocus to enter Street Focus in the How Did You Hear About Us section. It's that easy. Okay, we have a copyright uh, question sent by Jenny. Is the copyright sign with the name of the author on a photo enough to be able to claim the ownership of the photo in case of uh, in case of a court uh, a necessity in court, for example? Or do we absolutely need to register the photo at the copyright board? 
Well, um, I'd like to get some of the terms straight. It isn't a copyright board. It's the Copyright Office, which okay. is at the Library of Congress in New York. And Washington. Washington. In, in Washington. Um, I'm sorry. And um, the copyright symbol that she's talking about doesn't give you any legal rights. Uh, the only thing that protects you, and we emphasize this over and over again, and is the basis of our, our logo, which is our faces painted blue, where we talk until we're blue in the face And about our this, second career. Is telling people you have to register your images. It's very easy. It's relatively inexpensive. It's $55 for, is, uh, I've registered 10,000 to 13,000 images on one application for $55. That's a single $55 fee. This is the most common myth that will not die. <laughs> Excuse me. It's not $55 an image. It's $55 per submission. And on unpublished works, that $55 can cover thousands upon thousands of images. When you do not, it's not required that you have a copyright symbol on your photograph. It hasn't been required since Jimmy Carter was president. However, it's always good. It's always better to put it on because if someone rips you off, it serves as evidence that they knew they were ripping you off, number one. And number two, and I don't want to get too much detail here. We lay it out in the book. There's a special law in the United States. If any copyright management software or watermarks are removed, that leads to a separate lawsuit where the photographer is entitled to money, whether or not the copyright's been infringed or not. Yes. Now that's and when it comes to watermarks, um, I'm a believer. You don't need a big honking watermark in the middle of your image. Um, I I put a watermark on my images, and they're usually very small and discreet in a little area in the corner, um, because if they remove that, it's just as much of an infringement as anything else. That's right, and um, and it's one of my pet peeves. Actually, is the big watermark, you know, right across the picture. It's like, why even? Why even share on social media if you're going to destroy it with that ugly thing in the middle? That just yeah. If yeah, if you're destroy. worried, if you're worried about putting your images on the internet and it getting ripped off, I, I will Don't. leave your your fears. You will get ripped off. Mm -hmm. There's no question about it. But what you're looking at is one percent or two percent that might rip you off, and you're letting that determine your actions when you want to show your picture to the ninety-eight, ninety-nine percent. We we call that letting the tail wag the dog. That's why you register everything so that if you're yeah. ripped off on social, because uh, I, I'm, I don't think we have time to go down this road, but when Jack and I do our uh, lectures and classes, we get into this at some length. If it were up to me, Ed Greenberg, lawyer, I don't think that a photographer should ever, ever put an image on social media, ever. Now, that's a lawyer's answer. It's not a practical answer. Not these days. Not these days. But if your image, because you're going to get ripped off. But if you've registered your image and you've registered it correctly, then you'll be protected so that when someone rips you off, you'll be able to make some money and bring it, uh, bring it down. Let, let me tell you this. When somebody rips me off, I, I am not upset. I, I've had cases where that's happened. Yes, you are. <laughs> I just, outraged. I'm outraged. I'm, I'm completely upset. I just turned it over to Ed. I, I had one where I just turned it over to Ed. He does it. it. It takes a period of time. And I end up putting a very, very large check into my bank account. And I've been very happy the, the few times uh, that that's happened.
happen. To me, it's not the end of the world. It's the end of the world for a lot of people who get ripped off and haven't taken the precaution of registering their images. I mean, I do it regularly. I do it unpublished before anything happens. Um, I am careful um, on social media, and that usually what I do is I'll post it um, on my site um, and not to a link thing. I just put it on a page somewhere on my website, and then I put the link on uh, the social media like Facebook. And what that does is it just draws more people to my site. And I haven't uploaded to Facebook. Because I do this in real life, we don't have to make up stories. I change names and so forth, but all the stories are real. I had a photographer come to me just a few days ago uh, who had decades of work that was being infringed. And uh, bottom line is that had he or she registered this work, I, and most importantly, my wife, would be looking at a case worth way over seven figures. Because those images are not registered, Uh, the photographer is looking at a recovery of about one-fifteenth of what he would have gotten. And when I had to explain to uh, the photographer that they would have to continue working and could not retire because they didn't bother spending $55, basically they would have cost them $55 a year, well, it would have been less. It would have been $35 a year. So for lack of spending... The, the price went up recently. Right. That's what we're talking so about. So because the photographer didn't spend somewhere between five and $700, the photographer's out conservatively a million dollars. What, what we, we... You can always, by the way, um, just because it's not registered and you've been infringed, still pursue it. You still can. You, you would register after the fact, but you lose certain um, uh, protections uh, because you didn't register it before the infringement. But the question we ask people is, do you have camera insurance? And, and just about everybody says, yeah, you know, they have insurance in case they drop their camera or get stolen. Um, and the question we said, well, why don't you get image insurance, insurance to protect your images, which is the way I see um, what I spend on registering my images. Oh, totally. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Now, what would you recommend would be the workflow? H- how do you resize your images if you're going to send 10,000 of them? Or a 1,000 uh, of them to the copyright? Are they like thumbnail size or how does it work? Well, it, the easiest thing is to do everything online, not to send them anything physical. Oh, um, I know. But um, even electronically, I mean, how they have to be uh, pretty we, small, we, si- small files. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we recommend in, in our book and in our writings that um, you, you um, downsize them to 600 to 800 pixels on the longest side. Okay. Um, 72 PPI, uh, a JPEG compression of five or six, uh, put them in a folder, and then you have to zip the folder before you upload it. Okay. Um, so, so pretty much the same small. size as social media size, we call it. Uh, yeah, I, I would say so. Um, it only has to be big enough to be able to project in court to show that that's your image. Okay. Um, uh, one of the cases uh, I had where I sued somebody, that's exactly what we did to go over the image. Uh, it was simply um, projected. Okay. So 72 PPI at that size I, is, was, you know, enough, enough. I, is all I needed to I've show had, the image. I've had several trials against stock agencies where the images had to be produced in court. And we're not talking about producing five or ten. We're talking about producing twenty-five to 50,000 images in court. Nobody cares about quality. All you have to do is be able to see in a photo that, for example, that's Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky outside the White House. It doesn't have to be in the form that uh, Time Magazine could run on its cover the next day. Okay. 
and and we also you also keep uh, track of everything you send in. Um, once you send it into the copyright office, do not assume that you can get it back from the copyright office. Uh, it's very expensive for them to go into their files. So what you do is you maintain a record and you will testify in court that this is um, exactly what you did deposit at the copyright office. One, one, of the, one of the more obnoxious things that I do because it's effective, photographers are notorious for not registering. So one of the things that I do is say, Give me your spouse's phone number. I'm going to call your spouse and tell your spouse why you can't put your kid through college or buy the new car or buy the new house because you didn't want to spend $55 registering these images. Yeah. That's a very effective tool to make people register. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> Again, you don't need a lawyer to do these registrations, guys. You can do it yourself. Yeah. You don't have to call a lawyer. Our book has a step-by-step walkthrough. It does, yeah. Uh, and it, Jack, how long does it take the first time? How long would you say it takes? Oh, the first time it might take you 45 minutes or so. But after you do that and create a template and do everything else, uh, I can whip through the thing and, you know, really quick, 20 minutes. You okay. Know, wow, that's 20 minutes well spent <laughs> for sure. And um, so you need to register your photos in the country of the country where you live, not the country where the photos were taken. That was another part of the question by Jenny. No, here's, here's a bit of general advice where I can't be wrong, okay? okay? And lawyers like giving advice where they can't be wrong. If you are an American citizen, you're always, always, always going to register in the United States, at least, all the time. If you're a photographer who does not reside in the United States... You can't be wrong by registering the images in the United States. If you're doing a job in Dusseldorf, as in one of my cases, uh, the world is a small place these days, and the photographer well knew that the company that he was shooting for in Dusseldorf would likely use these images in the United States. So he registered them in the United States. Now, um, you don't have to be a citizen or a resident to register your images Uh, at the U.S. Copyright Office, okay. um, and, and that's going to copyright.gov um, to register your images. Um, and a lot of countries don't have registration. It's not required, um, but it is an advantage here in the United States. Yes. Okay, so anyone anywhere in the world can register in the U.S. That yes, and the know. other thing is, is that, uh, and, and take it from someone who was... Uh, Uh, pretty much of a libertarian. This is one of the few government services in the United States that actually works well. Okay. The site is pretty good. If you ask for advice from the copyright office, generally speaking, the people on the other line actually know what they're doing. It's hard to believe they're government employees. Yeah, and they're very, very nice and helpful. Every The hard part is getting through to them sometimes, so you have to be on the phone for a little bit waiting. But once you get somebody, they're extremely helpful. I, I like to call them the anti-department of motor vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Okay, I have a question from Don. He asks, can you legally sell a print of a candid photograph of a person who did not sign a model release, for example, in a photo art gallery? Also, do street photographers run any legal risk posting candid street photos of people on social media? All right, let me, let me take the uh, first one. Can you sell a print if you're a fine art photographer, which is generally defined as photographs numbered, photographs, sign numbered photographs in series of 200 or less, you can 
sign it, you can sell it, I'm sorry, as a fine art print. Okay. The second question With, is, Without a model release. Without a model release. The second question is running a legal risk posting candid street photography uh, of people on social media. Now, you see, that's an unintentionally tricky question because if you take a photograph of, let's say, a couple of moms in a park playing with their kids, and then that image is run over a newspaper article that says... Uh, lovely 30-year-old mothers selling heroin in local park, okay, can the photographer under certain circumstances be sued? Sure. Yes. Mm -hmm. Misrepresentation or what is it called? Context. Okay. Context, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, understand that the fine art part of it, it, you can't suddenly declare yourself a fine art photographer to avoid litigation. Um, you have to have a track record. So... Uh, we highly recommend uh, it pays that if you have a resume that says you've been exhibited here and exhibited there and that you are a fine art photographer. Uh, uh, by the, by the way, gang, just to take the best example, real case, uh, you have a professional adult model and a professional child model who has her parents sign the release for her. Uh, the release is assigned and the ads come out and they portray the adult and the child as being methamphetamine addicts the adult as a child abuser, and the child as an abused child. And it's, and it's a lovely and I represent, family picture. Right. And I represented the models, and I sued because the release does not grant the photographer permission to libel someone. Now, think of an X-rated movie. Wait, I'll come back to reality in a minute. If you, take in, if you have an X-rated movie and an actor or an actress agrees to be portrayed as, let's say, a hooker or a killer or whatever, They've signed a release that says, I understand I'm being in a pornographic film. I understand I'm going to be portrayed as a serial killer or a pedophile, whatever, and it's okay with me. An adult can do that. Mm -hmm. But just a general model release does not give the photographer a right to libel or defame the subject. By the way, in our book, we do have um, a whole series of releases because it isn't just one model release. Uh, we have um, a standard release. We have a simplified release. We also have a um, special, uh, um, not special interest uh, type release. Celebrity releases. Celebrity releases and sensitive issues. Um, we tell people if you're doing uh, pictures of someone and they're going to be nude or semi-nude, um, have that in the release. State that specifically. Don't just have a general release because it can be a problem later on. It's one huge issue that's, uh, for your audience, um, very important. And uh, I'll let, uh, this is uh, Jack's uh, spiel, if you will, about having a pad of model releases if you're a street shooter. Uh, guys, this is the easiest, uh, simplest way to go about your business with a minimum amount of aggravation. Q, Resnicki. Um, what we recommend is get uh, a, a very simple model release. It doesn't have to... To have, from a book. Yeah, from a book. Don't get a lot of legalese into it. Um, uh, and, and one thing we recommend, too, is a lot of the releases, and we've gotten into arguments with people online on this, uh, we take out the term um, uh, for valuable consideration. Uh, you don't need that. And we had somebody argue saying, well, a model release, in order for it to be a contract, you need to give some type of compensation. And no, you don't. A release is not a contract. In some states of the United States, so whatever advice we give, and we put it in big letters in the book, you always consult a, your local attorney to make sure that, and this is a legal term, kosher 
in <laughs> your state. But a moderate lease, for example, in New York doesn't have to be a contract. Yeah, so... But, but then... Um, but, but, but what we want you to do, and this is, this is the thing that will really, really help street photographers, is um, get the releases made into a pad, one that has uh, two copies with either a um, carbon piece in there so you can get a second copy or do no carbon required so there's two copies. Because one of the lines in the release should be that the model acknowledges that they got a copy of that release and you give them a copy. Now, this is the good tricky part. When you have a pad of a lot of these, don't have them sign the top one. Uh, you, your friends, other people you know, uh, have the first five or six of these signed so that when you present this pad of releases to somebody on the street, they see that others have already signed it. True. They're not the first one. If you simply hand somebody a blank sheet to sign, it's very intimidating. But if, if they see that, oh, other people have done this, you sort of get a herd mentality and they're more likely uh, to sign it. And I'll tell you the truth, I've been very, very surprised asking people on the street uh, if they would sign a release on something because, you know, you smile, you know, they know you're taking the picture or, or you show them the picture in the back of your camera and you ask them to sign a release. I'm amazed at how many people will sign the release. And we have a limited release in the book which essentially says that the image is not going to be used for any commercial purpose. Mm -hmm. And most people are concerned about having their image show up, uh, you know, in an ad for, uh, you know, Kellogg cereals without their permission. Yeah, even though that's very unlikely, that's what the public thinks. And yeah. um, I do that even with professional models that I shoot, and we're doing something where we're exchanging services. Um, I don't have a standard release for them. If I do, we cross out the commercial stuff and specifically put no commercial usage. But one of the releases I have for limited use is says I can use it for my lectures, for my books, or for shows or contests, but not for commercial use. Now, now Valerie, you mentioned uh, before we went uh, on air, so to speak, mm -hmm. uh, we were talking a little bit about the laws in France. Uh, let me bring up to you a uh, uh, real-life experience that uh, my wife and I had, and this shows you how the world is a, uh, a smaller place. We were on a cruise, and, and one of the stops was in Barbados, and we're on the beach in Barbados, and my wife and I don't have children, which is probably why we're still married, and sitting on the blanket next to us was a woman also on the cruise ship who had two little kids with her, and then there was a couple from France who was also on the cruise. They had two children, age is about six and nine. They're running on the beach totally naked. There is a guy at the bar with a telephoto lens and he's photographing the children. Wow. And I know what's going on. My wife takes a look. She knows what's going on. And the woman on the blanket next to us knows what's going on. So I say to my wife and the other lady, listen, you go over to the couple, the two of you women, because they may find a guy intimidating or whatever, but go over as women. So they went over there and they said, you know, there's a guy, you see him over there? He's, he's taking pictures of your kids. These pictures are going to be all over the internet. And my wife says, you know, my husband deals with these issues. These images, you let your kids walk around here. I know you think it's fine and they're free and all that, but those pictures are going to be on the net forever. And the husband and the wife said to both my wife and the other lady, you're exaggerating. You're crazy. And my wife points to the guy with the humongous lens. Mm -hmm. And they say, if they're photographing the children, they're photographing the children. They didn't care. Wow. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. I was watching the guy. He was only photographing the children. 
Oh, that's sick. Yeah, I always, uh, the photographing children is always tricky and I always tell my students on workshops it always make, I, well, first of all, street photographers, real street photographers don't hide behind a long lens. We use usually a very short prime lens, more in the 35 millimeter lens, uh, I mean, focal length. We well, don't hide. Getting, but well, without um, getting too graphic, what this guy is selling or what this guy yeah. is trading, he doesn't have to get within five feet. No, yeah. that's right. But but yeah. um, but always always tell my students to make eye contact with the parents, and um, and and get approval at least. You know, I mean, if if parents have a problem with you photographing their children in a public place, no matter where you are in the world, they will let you know pretty quickly. Uh, and and I find if you're whether you're a, a male or female photographer, um, if you approach the right way and you're photographing a, a, a really sweet candid moment of a child at a pond, you know, pushing a sailboat or whatever. Ever. parents usually have no problem with it but it's really important to make eye contact with the parents and not try yeah, to sneak I, in the shot i do that all the time mm-hmm. uh, all around the world yeah and, and generally even if you don't speak the language um, yeah. just hand gestures a smile, a smile. and yeah. a little nod of the head will will uh, suffice and they will let you know if they have a problem with it for sure very exactly. quickly yeah, i hate i hate to be the obnoxious attorney here but i'm going to be the obnoxious attorney Uh-oh. what else is new if you just get an oral consent drum roll please Parents change their minds. I know. Parents forget <laughs> that they gave you consent because now they see the picture somewhere and now they're ticked off. Yeah. It's, it, well, again, it, it comes into how you're using the image and what the image is. Um, but, you know, I'm on the side where I, I take the image. I'm a photographer. It's, it's what I do uh, like breathing. I mean, if, yep. if, I, if I went to a place and I couldn't, uh, I lost my cameras or something, there's no reason for me to be there. Exactly. I mean, same, same with me. I mean, I, street photography is a, a really a big part of, of my life. And uh, no law is ever going to make me stop no matter what. I, I always respect my subject. I don't photograph people in embarrassing, embarrassing, vulnerable or ridicule ridiculous situation um basically if if i don't see my if if i look at the picture and i feel like oh i wouldn't want to be this person on that picture then i would never share it um here's here's a conundrum for you okay (laughs) just to make you nuts oh no to make you crazy you frequently you would have no way of knowing whether the photograph that you're taking of somebody compromises or embarrasses them. And I'll give you a real nice example we have in the book. Okay. A man is photographed at a wedding. He's a guest at a wedding. And there's all kinds of photographs of him at the wedding. Two situations. One, the guy was on America's Most Wanted. He was a wanted criminal. The second one is better. He was a guy like an Italian mobster who was there with his girlfriend. And he realized that that those pictures of him would put his life in great jeopardy because if his wife found out, he'd be dead. So those pictures, which seemed innocuous because there he is at a public wedding with pictures being taken, he had a duh moment at three o'clock in the morning. He wound up paying the photographer a boatload of money to buy up all the photography. Yeah, if a guy is going to, if he's walking down the street and he's cheating on his wife. Oh, I'm sure I photographed. Yeah. I, I photographed probably many lovers all over the world that probably were not supposed to be together. But you know what? It 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 was a beautiful moment, and uh, and I was you know I'm willing to take the risk. And I and street photographers, some of them will will carry model releases to if they do street portraits where they actually have an interaction with the with their subject. Um, 
Honestly, I, I'm for, I photograph mostly candid situations where nobody ever knows I'm taking the picture. It's our, our job to, to remain invisible, not to disturb the, 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 the scene, really. Um, 98% of all street photographers never have a problem. Exactly. And, yeah. um, and I guess we'll just keep doing what we're doing <laughs> and cross yeah, but our it's, fingers. It's just, it, as we say, it's just good to be aware yeah. of, of you know, what the laws are and what the situations are. Yeah. Um, it, it's better you're armed with um, you know, true things and true facts. Yeah. If you're that one photographer who gets sued and you're putting your family's possessions and future on the line because you didn't get a model release, you think a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. The people that we represent who are street shooters use model releases and they they do their work and I sometimes don't hear from them for five or ten years because they want more because they have a problem. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's, it's really a prophylactic having correct paperwork. Yes, oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. When you hand a model release to somebody, they believe, rightly or wrongly, that they don't have any claim against you because they signed the release. Yeah, although they probably would still have a case. They in, might. In Depends. some in some cases, there, there was one where a woman did a stock photography shoot um, um, for her, her daughter. Did I should say, and she signed a release, and everything was legal and fine. And then it started showing up in uh, a big billboard in New York by the uh, tunnel um, for abortion. Um, it said the most dangerous place for an African American is in the womb, and it was a beautiful picture of this darling young girl. And it was very upsetting. They, they ended up taking down that billboard in one day because of the outrage. And um, I'm sure a lawyer went to the, um, that mother at some point and told her, even though you signed a release, that particular usage should not, is not going to be covered by that release mm-hmm. unless the release specifically said it was going to be for an issue like that. And by the way, there's certain issues that the parents can't even sign off the children for. Um, if you're doing a movie... Um, uh, let's do Taxi Driver um, many, many years ago where, um, what's your name, the model? Jodie Foster was portrayed as a street hooker and she was underage. Her parents can't sign off on that. The um, movie producers have to go to court and get a judge to sign off on that type of a release. You know, the parents can't just sign off uh, for any usage in that case, if the child is put in uh, that type of a light. In, in most states, if a parent agreed to have their child portrayed as, I don't know, a, a street hooker um, or worse. A drug addict. You know, that's uh, that to be child abuse and could be grounds to take the child away from the parents. How could you agree to let a seven or an eight-year-old child be portrayed that way? I have problems on a more innocuous side. I've had because I live in New York, a million of my clients who've been on Law and Order. And there are Law and Order episodes where you have eight, nine, and ten-year-old kids talking about being sexually violated and so on and so forth. If I had an eight, nine, ten-year-old kid, uh, I wouldn't let him do that kind of material. No, no. Wow. Good point. Well, this has been really great. I mean, I, I like, I mean, we discussed a lot of things, uh, mostly about street photography, but a lot of other interesting things that, you know, I wasn't aware about, which I, I learned a lot today. I will urge everyone to check out the Copyright Zone, both the book and the website, and, um, and urge street photographers to, um, to uh, register their their images, because really it's, uh, and it's explained so well in your book, it takes an hour at most of your time and uh 
And it's peace of mind, I think, more than anything else. Chances are you'll never have to worry about it. But uh, I've seen my work in others' website featured as their own. You know, I, oh. I, I choose my battles and I can't, it, this I, kind I, of stresses me so much that I'd rather. I'm going to make just, a suggestion. I'm going to make a suggestion to you very strongly. Mm-hmm. You can't copyright a style. You can only copyright certain images. You can't copyright a style. However, and I've seen this happen in some very, very severe cases to uh, graphic artists and photographers. If someone keeps copying your style and using your images and putting up their images, putting up your images as theirs, they will eventually drive you out of business. Mm-hmm. So if you do nothing, they won't stop. Yeah. And I have one example of, a, of an illustrator who used to make a great deal of money who now has been forced out of the business because people, one person in particular, continually ripped her off and it took her 20 years to do something. By then it was too late. Wow. Yeah, yeah. By the way, there, there is a statute of limitations for infringements. I believe it's three years, Ed. Basically in the United States it's three years. There are some exceptions, but basically it's three years. Okay. Good to know. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like you you can spend your whole day trying to track who is ripping you off. And, uh, Let's see. Well, why, why do you have to spend all day? Do a yeah. Google image search. Yeah, I know. Look, look it, around. It you makes know? me angry, though. It stresses me out. So I kind of figure dishonest people will always be dishonest, and honest people will always be honest, and the ones who want to buy my images will always buy them. The ones who want rip me off <laughs> will do that and keep well, doing it. Don't you want to get money from the people who rip you off? <laughs> I will tell you, it's I'll very satisfying you. when I make a big deposit. I, we had one case where it paid for a brand new Prius in my driveway. Wow. So. If, if, if people are comfortable being victimized, if they have you know, an attitude that, well, you know, if I get ripped off, I get ripped off and I don't care, that's fine. Then do nothing. No. Want to be a victim? Do nothing. It's just more um, distracts me from... The important things, and that's educating and and using my energy and other things. And I feel like it's easy to just get really upset. I mean, I see my articles translated in other languages and and without permission and and, and things like that. Robert, But if you if you owned a liquor store, and every once in a while a guy walked in and stole a couple of cases of your finest champagne and your finest bourbon, and he did that once a month or every three months. Would you call the cops? Yeah, I would. Well, I know it's, it's the same different. thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah, it's you shouldn't get aggravated at these things. Like I said, because my images are registered, it's it's a very easy process. And if it was something where I just wanted him to take it down because it was just a, some blogger or something, it's easy enough to send a DMCA uh, takedown letter. Yeah, very easy to do, and and that'll take care of the situation. You, yeah, you do have uh, avenues to. Um, to protect your images. Yeah, and that's usually what I do. I mean, I, I usually, if I see something really blatant, and it's like, okay, <laughs> these are these are my images. Could you take them down? And uh, and usually it solves itself this way very easily. Uh, but even then, I find it stressful, and it just uh, it will ruin my day when I see. So <laughs> it's like, yeah, I know, yeah, no, probably it's, it's burying upsetting. my hand in the sand is not the solution. But yeah, it is upsetting to see your work. Uh, yeah, it is. It by is. Something else. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. So where can people go see, uh, go to see more of your work? Well, Ed's not a photographer, so you won't see any of his work. Um, <laughs> but you can go to my website, is Reznicki.com, R-E-Z-N-I-C-K-I. 
N-I-C-K-I.com. But um, if you want to see me and Ed and the things we talk about, go to thecopyrightzone.com. And again, our book um, right now is number one in the professional photography category on Amazon. Great. Um, which we're very happy with, and it, uh, we've been getting very good response to it. As one person said in one of their um, uh, reviews of the book, they didn't think they would ever be laughing out loud reading a book on copyright. <laughs> That's what I like about it. It's easy to read, and it's entertaining. And Because uh, usually, you know, those kind of books can get pretty boring, and, and yours is not. So I highly recommend it, and I will get my uh, latest version very soon. Thank Terrific. you. Thank you both for your time. This was really special. And uh, I know you, you're both busy and it was hard to, to schedule, you know, uh, to, to, to uh, coordinate our schedule. So thanks so much. We'll definitely uh, maybe do this in a, in a year or so again, for sure. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Thank you. And we are at the end of another episode of Street Focus. Thanks again to FreshBooks for making this episode possible. Please head over to thisweekinphoto.com slash street to subscribe to the show. My name is Valérie Jardin, and you've been listening to Street Focus. Now it's time to grab that camera and hit the streets. Hit the streets.